and I thought, oh, that's like the voice of God. Um, I mean, a voice just came out of space. Did, did you see anything? Or? No, no, it was just... What did it feel like? Intimidating at that point. I'm Sonia Morton-Firth and you're tuned in to The Sonia Morton-Firth Show. Today, my guest is Keith Abraham, a veteran who served in the Parachute Regiment. Just forgive yourself. We, just, we condemn ourselves and each other. At the blink of an eye, we condemn each other. Just forgive yourself. Keith, thank you so much for being here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, so I can't wait to get in it. Um, before we start, though, Keith, can you tell um, my audience who you are and what your mission is today? Uh, yeah, sure. So my name is Keith Abraham, and I am CEO of Heroic Hearts UK, which is uh, an independent and charitable organisation that's, which is our aim is to connect UK military and emergency services veterans to psychedelic therapy. Um, and we need to do, we need to um, take our veterans over to places like Peru and Costa Rica or Guatemala or the Netherlands uh, because drug policy in the UK criminalises that behaviour here. Um, so our aims are twofold really, is to connect veterans to potentially life-changing healing, but also we are um, advocates for changing UK drug policy uh, so that we don't need to go to Peru and we don't need to go to the Netherlands and that we can treat our veterans here. I'm dying to get into psychedelics and what they can do and how they can help veterans. But before we get there, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how that led you to psychedelics? I'm a, I'm a veteran myself, military combat veteran. Uh, I was a member of uh, Tupara, which is one of the British Army's more elite combat units. I served in Iraq in 2005, 2006. But really, in the summer of 2008, I found myself in Afghanistan. And that summer was quite an intense summer of fighting. It was incredibly exciting but it also came at a great cost. Um, it was exciting because I had signed up to join the Paris to fight in wars. But the cost is that when you fight in wars, a lot of people tend to get hurt. Yeah. And while I came away physically without a scar on me, lots of people didn't come home. Lots of people did come home with significant life-changing injuries. And then what I didn't realize until a little bit after was obviously the emotional, psychological um, cost of that behaviour, engaging in that behaviour. When did you realise or how did you realise it had had an effect on you? I think... So immediately I understood that... I, I had certain experiences where it's, you, you obviously immediately recognise this is desperately traumatic, but you can... To get on with the job, you just... That's fine. And But because you have a role to perform, mm. you just... Well, I can't, I'm not going to deal with that now, which is right as well, um, because I've got a job to do, but you keep doing that. You keep telling yourself that you've got a job to do. And when you asked me that question, actually I had a, an image in my head just pop up of when I realised something was wrong. I was in Portland, Oregon, which is where my girlfriend at the time lived, and I spent a lot of time in Portland. And we were in a bar, just like we are yeah. now, we were in a bar, 
and having a nice time, having a very nice time, and talking normally. And I was crying, but, but I wasn't, I didn't feel sad. I mean, we weren't talking about anything sad. We were having quite a nice time and just tears were rolling down my eyes and I just thought, this isn't, something's wrong here. And obviously I had only just got back from Afghanistan. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe something's going on that needs addressing. So that was the first hint. And then I had other symptoms and stuff that developed over time, which were clear indicators of, of grief and of, of anxiety and depression. Um, what were really, the sort of indicators? Uh, so I suffered a lot with excessive sweating, uh, which uh, that, like, that made me anxious itself because I, from head to toe, all oh. day long, in, in bed, if I was asleep, I'd wake up and my bed was just soaking wet. If I was sat here now with you, sweat would literally be pouring off of my fingertips and down my face, which is clearly not right. Even, even in just in this comfortable environment, clearly not right. But that made me embarrassed, which made me anxious, which compounded all of the grief that I was experiencing from the trauma of Afghanistan. So I was going around in this, this wheel of trauma. And so I lasted three years. I did a good, I say lasted. I made great friends and I, I kind of enjoyed it. But I realized that it had to come to an end. And so, um, so I left. And um, right at the end, I was still at JP Morgan when I went to Peru and took ayahuasca. Okay, so I was interested in this. What made you decide? What was that sort of turning point where you decided, I want to go to hopelessness? Yeah, yeah. Because there's no, you just get, sorry to have interrupted there. No, it's just no, so, no, no, It's please, such an easy please, answer, yes. it's hopelessness. The, um, even, even when I was in the military and I understood, you know, I had the sweating and I had um, migraines, my hair was falling out and stuff. And I saw the GP in the military and mm. I like, I am struggling with something and he gave me the same response that we all get as civilians when we go to the GP they in generally say here's some antidepressants and we'll book you in for some talking therapy okay Which is, that's what I got in the military that's what we normally get from our GPs yeah, as civilians yes. and when I left the military I did the same thing and I got the same reaction right. three more times so, so did you go on to the anti did you take the antidepressants yeah I, I, I tried them Twice. And how did those make you feel? Numb. And numb to the point of what's the point. Um, yeah. Not positive. I didn't feel healthy. I didn't feel happy. And I didn't feel that I could feel happy. I just felt numb. And I didn't want to feel numb. I wanted to no, feel something. No, you want to feel alive, Yeah, right? I want to feel alive. I want to feel joy. Yes. yes. I want to feel love. That's on the dose that I was taking, on the medicine that I was taking, that wasn't possible for me at that time. Um, but so I came off of them. I gave, did a, tried again, concurrently with talking therapies. Talking therapies is part chance whether you connect to a therapist or not. I think everyone understands that in whatever therapy form we're talking about. I didn't connect with the first two therapists. Mm. Um, 
and I did connect with the third one in London once I was working at JP Morgan, but I still was off antidepressants at that point. But she did help me with some tools of understanding my behaviour. So it was valuable, but it's not a healing mm. um, it's not a healing tool, it's a management tool from my perspective. For some people, antidepressants and talking therapies can be lifesavers. Very happy to admit that, of course, but for me that was not the case at all. Uh, I tried lots of other things, um, what we would consider alternative therapies, hypnotherapy, um, lots of different things. And while some of them were very nice and pleasant experiences, nothing was healing me. And I was beginning to think that life might actually just be that, that suffering, it might just carry on that way. And that didn't make me feel very good at all. So two of my friends who actually both live in LA, one of them went to Peru, one of them went to Mexico for uh, ayahuasca therapy, and they both came back and they both said in their heads, oh, I know someone that would be, that could do, be healed by this. So I got emails off of both of them. I said, Keith, I've been thinking of you. <clears throat> We've just done something called ayahuasca. I think you could greatly benefit from it. And you know, within a few weeks, I booked my flight and I was gone. Were you sort of looking for answers when you went there? Or was it just to relieve your... Yeah, I mean, an answers to... Yeah, answers. But really, it was it was healing. That was the how my mind would have labelled what I needed. Mm -hmm. It was it was just I just need some I just need some healing to overcome the what, what I'm suffering from here. And but answers come in like why am I suffering this much? And how can I stop it? Or that those answers were were provided as well, which is great. Um, so please walk me through the experience because it's, it's one of those intriguing things you hear people that have been on it have been life-changing. If I may, before I do that, mm. I just want to sort of say that while I'm an advocate for psychedelics, psychedelics aren't actually for everyone. There are, there are certain conditions and, and markers that we need to look out for for people that are not appropriate to take psychedelics. So while, I, while what I say is might give some hope to people that are listening here and it might be intriguing for others and, and pique someone's curiosity. We, we, do, we need to be responsible and just accept that some people aren't appropriate for taking these medicines. Absolutely, and, and, and obviously when people watch this show they know that I'm, I'm certainly not a qualified uh, counsellor either um, and, and this is your story, this is what your experience, your life yeah. story, so yeah, anyone so. that wants to take it further should, should absolutely do their own research. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, or contact, if they're a veteran, they or can come through yes. Heroic Arts yeah. and we'd be happy, happy to talk to them about it. Um, so yeah, so my personal experience was I flew into a city called Charapoto, which is in Peru, and the people that I've been connected with owned a tiny little wooden hut in the jungle. That's what I was told. And I was told that they would meet me at the airport. Great. Never met them, never spoken to them. They'll meet you at the airport. I said, okay, great. I turned up at the airport and they were there. 
It's like, wow, okay, yeah. here we go. We jumped in a taxi, went to their friend's car, and we drove for about an hour down this beautiful river, a huge Amazonian tributary mm. river. Um, drove for about an hour to a, a, a jungle village called Chazuta. Then I got in a boat oh, wow. and I went up river for another hour. And I got off the boat at a little village that I don't know the name of, even though, you know, I've been there. <laughs> Still don't know the name of it. And I had to hike an hour into the jungle with all of my drinking water, all, all of my equipment with me, because there was nothing there other than a tiny little wooden hut in the middle of the jungle. So anyway, got to this, eventually got to this little wooden hut. There's no electricity, there's no running water other than a river running past it. There's fruit trees all around, banana trees, um, these particular types of apple trees, and that's it. Um, and so I rolled, put down my little temporary mattress and my sleeping bag. And then um, my friends spent the night with me the first night. And then they said, right, enjoy. We're going to leave you now. And sometime during the week, a shaman's going to come and visit you. So you just relax, have a nice time, live off the land, live by the, swim in the river. Uh, there's a guy up the river, about 500 meters He's going to help you with some food because he's a chocolate farmer, but he's also got some chickens and he'll come and see you. You know, he'll come and see you, keep an eye on you if you need him. Um, and I don't know how many days it was before the shaman turned up, but um, he turned up one afternoon, middle of one afternoon. And he said, oh, I'm Don Aculino. Um, he didn't speak English. and I only speak very little Spanish, but we introduced each other and he said, you just lay down here and I'm going to lay down next to you, drink that and just listen to me sing. I was like, okay. So I did exactly that. And the first night was, was what, you, what I would typically, what people might typically um, imagine is a psychedelic experience, which is, you know, flying through the universe and lots of geometric shapes. And, and I was watching, time i was being taught about the nature of time but not by a voice i was just knowing the nature of time and space it's hard to explain um, and that was pretty much well valuable and really interesting that was pretty much my first experience just before that had you ever experienced anything like this no. before recreationally no. No. Okay, so this is... I'd abused drugs and alcohol in my time, but I'd never done anything psychedelic before. Okay. So that was my first one on whatever day it was. Two days later, he came back. And then this is when the real magic happened for me. Same process, drink that, listen to me sing, lay down. And then before I knew it, I was back up in among the stars and the planets. And then a voice came out of the darkness and just said, are you, are you, have you, have you played around? Have you finished playing? And I thought, oh, that's like the voice of God. I mean, a voice just came out of space. Did you see anything? Or no, no, it was just... What did it feel like? Intimidating at that point, because a voice just came out of nothingness. And I was already in a very new experience. You know? um, but I said yes. 
because I was there to work, you know. I said I was, I was hopeless, but I'm not afraid of hard work, especially working mm. on my own healing. Mm. And that's why I was there. So when, when the voice asked me if I was finished playing, I thought, yeah, I am, I'm ready to work. This is happening on another level of consciousness from the consciousness mm. that's within my body. I just, I'm just somewhere else. Is it like being in a dream? I'm, I'm putting yeah, words in yeah. here, I don't want to put no, words in that's, my that's, a, that's an adequate experience. Um, example but then within that dream I had woken up once I'd said I was ready to work I woke up in a different environment but still in the dream and I woke up in a in a setting that was to my mind was like an, an old traditional Victorian or Edwardian school and in front of me was an old lady who I intuitively understood was ayahuasca. And so I'm sat at the desk. She's up her head in front of the chalkboard. And she starts asking me questions like, you're here because you're suffering. Yes. Uh, can you help me with that? Yes. Do you understand that your behavior, your own behavior, has caused your suffering. I'm going to show you how you have behaved through your life. So real events. Mm. So I'm going to be replayed real events in my life. And I need to observe how I behaved in that point in my life. And then she, this is her telling me this. And then she is going to take my place in that experience and behave in the way that would be more healthier. And I observe her doing that, but she's me. And then I, I'm then given the chance to go back into my body and behave in, in a very similar way to her that would be regarded as healthier. And if I manage it, I pass, and then I go on to another lesson, so another experience in my life. And one experience that I can recall right now is that I was in Guildford with my girlfriend, um, and I, we were sober, walking down the street trying to get the train home, and a drunk guy was walking up with a pizza box. And he hit me, he was drunk, so he was off balance, and he hit me with a pizza box, spilled the pizza, and then got very angry with me. And I, I, was, I was still in the military by then. And anger, I only had one response to anger, which was anger, and then it was violence. So it ended in violence. But ultimately, he only accidentally hit me with a pizza. It didn't spill any on me, it just fell on the floor. Yeah. But I, I returned anger with anger and, re and escalated to violence immediately, which is unhealthy. So I watched me doing that, and I was like, oh, that's not, that's not a good reaction. I know what's going to come now. And she said, do you believe that that was a healthy reaction? And I said, no. And then she said, would you like me to show you how I would behave in that circumstance? Yes, please. So I observed her in my body behaving with compassion and forgiveness and understanding and patience with this guy. And everything was resolved amicably. He was still drunk, so it didn't, it didn't go too deep, but it was amicable and he went on his way. And we went home and it was all very peaceful and calm and didn't ruin my evening. And then she said, do you believe that that's a healthier way of behaving given the circumstances? I agreed. And then she put me back in my body 
and I had to behave with compassion, forgiveness, patience and understanding. And I did it. And she said, congratulations, you've passed. Are you ready for the next lesson? But that's just one. I had one my any number of events through my lifetime that I went through. And then she gave me hypothetical new experiences. And she taught me about how I can take my I can take my ego out of the decision-making process and how I can maintain it in check. But then also, which is what a lot, when people talk about dissolving the ego, they fail to talk about the idea of the ego is actually can be important. So when can I employ the ego? And when do I need to keep it in check? And how do I keep it in check? I got taught all of these things and it was lifetimes of lessons. I was in that classroom for lifetimes. And, but it was, I don't know, it was like five or six hours or something like this. Uh, and it was profound. Um, and it changed, it helped me. I, I, well, one, I didn't even know the meaning of the word compassion. Quite literally, I didn't understand the meaning of the word compassion. So not only did I understand the meaning of the word compassion, I knew how to practice compassion because I'd practiced it for lifetimes, I understood the importance of forgiveness and its real-world consequences of, of practicing compassion and forgiveness, patience, kindness, forgiveness for myself, compassion for myself, all of these things. And then I just, all I know is that I was sat bolt upright in my body again, laying next to my shaman, and I was so stone sober and he sat up and he said, you worked really hard. So you walked into the jungle, depressed, anxious. Traumatised. Traumatised, having all of these um, physical manifestations yeah. in your body. Yeah. When you left, how did you feel and how, how had your body responded? So, well, one, I felt this is what needs to be spoken about um, a little bit more with psychedelics. Is that actually the hard work starts after. The hard work is in the integration after. Because mm. after you come out of um, ayahuasca or psilocybin or any, any of these medicines, I call them medicines, there's normally like a seven-day period where you just think you're like Buddha or something. You know, everything is resolved in life. Life is just in, in wonderful. But it's, that's just a honeymoon period that normally tails off after seven days. Okay. Then you have to start working because you've been given these tools, like you've just mm. heard my tools. Mm. You, when you're confronted, Keith, you normally react with anger and violence, but now you know better. So you have to employ, in order for you not to suffer, you need to employ compassion, forgiveness, patience and understanding in every confrontation. And, and that's the work. From, that was in 2014. That is the work to this day. And tomorrow. So tell me, how do you help now others with having had had, had that experience, um, and particularly with the work you're doing now with Heroic Hearts? So Heroic Hearts was when I came out of the jungle, that was in 2014. When I came out of the jungle, I was convinced of the safety and mostly the efficacy of ayahuasca. But I needed to work hard to integrate all the lessons mm. first. I, I wasn't in a position of strength where I could just say, yeah, everyone should do it, even though I felt that way. Mm. I had lots of work to still do. It wasn't, I wasn't 
I was healed psychologically, mm. but I definitely had a lot of work ahead of me, mm. particularly on my body. And, but gradually, I worked hard, and I made important life decisions that helped me in my journey. And before long, I found myself in a position of strength. And in 2018, there was a spate of suicides in the UK veterans community that were, there was a lot. And I just thought, there's this thing out there, there's ayahuasca, there's psilocybin in, in magic mushrooms. These medicines work. MDMA works. How can I, one, convince veterans that this is safe and effective, but then two, how do I actually give it, how do I get them to take it because it's illegal here? So just on that one, um, Keith, the, how, how safe are these drugs? Because if we listen to what the government tells us, um, we're, we're in, we shouldn't be taking them, they're dangerous, they're dangerous for our health, let alone can help us through trauma and depression. It, it's so clearly safe, it's nearly beyond doubt. In a, from a scientific perspective mm. as well, which is not just my personal opinion. Science is saying this. But we've got one issue here. It, 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 say I'm a, I'm a veteran and I, I know lots of veterans and, and I'm, I'm suffering. It doesn't have to be a veteran, but let's just say veteran. I'm suffering, I'm depressed, I might be on alcohol, I might have been subscribed um, antidepressants by, by my doctor, but it's not doing anything and I'm still feeling that way. And I want to give uh, psilocybin a shot. I just can't go to my corner shop and buy it. So, it, well, if you bought it off of anyone, you'd be a criminal, and they would be, be a criminal for selling it. Yeah. So, drug law in this country is cruel and bizarre, and not founding on any science whatsoever. And it's being presented to the government over and over and over again by people like Professor Dave Nutt and his team, and one of our trustees, Crispin Blunt, time and time again providing this evidence to the government. The safety and the efficacy again and again, and it's just being ignored. Granted, there are other things going on in the world that are of importance, but there's a mental health pandemic. Massive, huge. Before COVID, there was an anxiety epidemic, at least in Western culture. Um, and these medicines... So how does heroic hearts help? So, yeah, Heroic Hearts helps connect veterans. Again, it's UK military and emergency services, and we consider that to be paramedics, police and fire, and then military. We, after careful vetting, because this is a serious business, mm. and that we need to take it seriously and re act responsibly, because psychedelics aren't appropriate for everyone, yeah. we, we aim to connect veterans to reputable, safe psychedelic retreat centres around the world, be that Peru, Netherlands, Guatemala. So there's no laws being broken at all. No veteran that approaches us is breaking the law in any way. Um, to get to participate in these retreats, they, we do carefully vet people. Um, we, you know, you can't have any history of, of heart conditions in your, in your personal medical history or your immediate family, any history of psychosis. You're not mm. if there's if there's recent suicidal ideology it's we, we, we can't work with you just yet um, we operate a, a no medication no supplement 
default policy as well. So if you're on if you're on medication, you need to speak to your GP about responsibly withdrawing yourself from that medication, and then we can take you on the treat. If you pass all of the other mm. criteria as well. Um, so you see, it's not it's not appropriate for everyone. It's not safe and responsible for us to make those connections on behalf of veterans that are not appropriate. However, there's a great deal of veterans out there that this is appropriate for, and we believe, and the science backs up, there's a great opportunity for potentially life-changing experiences and healing, opportunity for healing. That's why we exist. And how do people get hold of you? We'll, we'll put all of this in the show notes, but what's the easiest way to contact you? We've got a website, which is heroicheartsuk.com. Our social media handle is at Heroic Hearts UK. Um, myself, I'm only on LinkedIn. Um, my, webs- my personal website, if you need to get in touch with me professionally, is keithjabraham.com. If you were to look back, or maybe if you were to meet your younger self along the way, knowing what you know now, what piece of advice would you give young Keith? Oh, it's so hard because maybe I'm only the person I am today because of everything that I did and experienced. So to interrupt that process might not be what's required. But good advice, I feel that is always good advice, is please forgive yourself. Just forgive yourself. Just forgive yourself. We condemn ourselves and each other. At the blink of an eye, we condemn each other. Just forgive yourself. Maybe that'll be enough for a little me, for a young me, because I was very forgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Keith, I love that. To end the interview on that note, thank you so much for having the courage to put your head up above the parapet as well. And thank you for being a guest on my show today. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.